Amen. Amen. Be seated, please. Thank you, worship team, for that great time of worship here this morning. Uh, Church family here in person and those that are watching us online, this is the time uh, in a non-COVID world that we will be passing the offering plate to take up our tithes and offerings. And uh, I want to just invite you that uh, at the end of our worship gathering this morning, if you want to uh, give of your tithes and offering in person, you can. Uh, Our deacons will be there at the doors as we go to dismiss this morning. But also if you want to give online in a uh, non-touch and pass way, you can do so at holmesavenue.com forward slash give. As a reminder, I also just want to point you towards that as well. If you still want to help contribute uh, to Operation Christmas Child and you don't want to have to turn in something as far as passing of a check or anything like that, you can also give there on that link as we have it set up for an Operation Christmas Child drop-down to where you can pay that on there. But we're now at the point where we're moving into our time of studying the Word of God and we have been in the book of First Peter over the last several weeks, and I thank you for uh, your prayers and support last week. I got to fill in over at Cooper River Baptist for Pastor Brett last Sunday while he was out of town. Had a great time with the folks there at Cooper River. Thankful for them, as I already said, and the gospel ministry that is taking place there. Uh, but it was a great Sunday morning, and I know that you guys had a great Sunday morning because I went back and watched it, and Pastor Walter, again, knocked it out of the park. So I I hope and pray that you're okay with me preaching this morning because the man has been knocking it out of the park every single week. Did you just boo me? Did he just boo me? (laughs) No, but um, I'm I'm excited for today. And, you know, when when Pastor Walter and I were praying about uh, this sermon series and looking at 1 Peter and the idea of us being sojourners in this world, uh, the fact that this is not our home ultimately, heaven is our home for those of us who are followers of Jesus, We were going to start the sermon series a week prior to when we did. And then, as you remember, James and Ashley Wing came, missionaries that are going to Puerto Rico. And as we were preparing and looking at the calendar, and I was looking at it for this week, we came to the passage where we are today, and it just so happens that I'm preaching this text two days before Election Day. And I have to say that I just think it's so awesome to always see how the Lord moves and works in His divine timing. Most of the time, his timing, let's just say all of the time, his timing is always more perfect than ours. And I just, I'm thankful for that. And so this morning, we're going to look at a text to where some of the stuff that is going on in our world today, you might say, well, how is it to be that we are supposed to live that way based on what Scripture is telling us with what we see happening all around us? And I want to just go ahead and warn you. The Word of God says to do it. The Lord has made it clear that we are to do it, so we must obey. Amen? We must hold this as what it is, the Word of God, the divinely inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, and therefore we must be obedient to it. Now, as I said, Election Day is two days away from today, and this is not going to be a political message. I am not endorsing a candidate. I'm not doing anything like that. So you just go ahead and wipe that out of your mind now. But Election Day is two days away. And we know if you're just like me, you are thankful that Election Day is almost here and gone. <laughs> Because the the political ads are nonstop, it's annoying, our country's divided, there's so much tension, there's chaos all around us, and I'm ready for it to be done. I'm thankful that now that we are past Halloween, it is November 1st, and it's officially Christmas season. Amen? Some of you, like Pastor Walter, don't agree with that until after Thanksgiving. Which I, I get it, I get it. I started listening to Christmas music this morning, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. But I'm thankful and and, and I'm praying that as we continue to move into this holiday season, as we always see every year, no matter what is going on around us, it opens people's hearts to the, the truth of this season that we are going into. 
Yes, it's a time of rejoicing and fellowship and thanksgiving that we're moving into. And then also Christmas season where we celebrate God's ultimate gift to us in the birth of our Savior. We'll have more of that in the coming weeks when we finish First Peter. But as I said, going into this season, we've seen in 2020, our country is divided. We see that our country is a lot of junk that is happening around us. There's been chaos all through 2020. It, we'll look back on this years from now, and I, I just think ahead to my kids, and we'll have those, those conversations. Oh, that is so 2020. It's such a painful year of just all the stuff that's been going on around us. But we have to remember, just as we've learned over the last three weeks so far in this series, where we'll look at today and moving forward until the end of November when we finish this series, this place is only temporal. This planet that we live on, this earth, this country, everything that we have in this life, it's only temporal. Because we have the promise of what is coming for us in glory, and that is the promise and truth of heaven. The fact that we are citizens of heaven, and we are just sojourners in this world. And so for this morning, uh, we are going to be in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2, and we're going to finish chapter 2 today. We're going to be in verses 13 through 25 today. And I simply entitled this message today, Glorify God. Glorify God, and you'll see why I pray in just a few moments. But let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And the word of the Lord says, <clears throat> Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to who judges justly. Remember that verse. It's very important. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And may I say hallelujah. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for our time that we've had in worship to you in song, where we've cried out to you in prayer so far, Lord. And we pray, Lord, now that as the proclamation of your word takes place, Lord, that, that I would get out of the way. Lord, that you would move and work, that you would speak, Lord, and that you would equip your people. Father, I pray, Lord, that the meditations of my heart and the words that come out of my mouth will be pleasing to you now. Lord, again, I pray for Pastor Brett, Lord, as he is uh, very soon going to be preaching in the pulpit in the next few moments. Pray, God, that you would speak boldly through my brother and that you would use him and use Cooper River Baptist Church alongside of us to reach every man, woman, and child in this community. 
for your glory, for your name's sake. We love you and we bless you in the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so today in this passage of Scripture, we are going to see how we are to glorify God. We are to glorify God in submitting to authority. We are to glorify God in the midst of suffering, all while following, following the example of Jesus. And I pray that you're taking notes. I pray that you have your ESV journal with you. For those of you that are in person with us, if you don't, we do have some up front uh, that you can grab and, and by all means take and use uh, however you need to. But if you're taking notes, I, I want to go ahead and tell you the first thing that we're going to see today is we will glorify God in submitting to authority. Glorify God in submitting to authority. In, in the first two verses in this passage, we see how Peter is telling his readers that based on everything we've seen thus far, the fact that we are born to a living hope through what Christ Jesus has done, we are to live a life of holiness as a chosen race, as a royal priesthood. We are to be subject to every human institution, whether it was the emperor, as they say in verse 13, or even governor in verse 14. Now, look at verse 13 specifically. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Peter says here this, this idea of this every human institution. This can also literally be translated human creatures. They are not ultimately the creator God Almighty, but they are ones that are here on earth that God has allowed to be in the place that they are, and we are to honor them in the authority that they are in place. Now, when he says every, that literally means every, okay? When he says that, that includes parents, that includes grandparents, that includes teachers, bosses, church leaders, city officials, government officials. Any person that is an authority type figure, we as followers of Christ are to submit to that authority. Now, ultimately, we are under the authority of whom? God Almighty first and foremost. And because of being under that authority, we are to walk in obedience to God with our lives, living this holy life as we have talked about over the last several weeks. This royal priesthood, these chosen people walking in obedience to our Creator. And because we are doing that, we submit to the authority that God has allowed to be in place. Now right there at the very beginning of verse 13, Peter says, For the Lord's sake. Do me a favor. In your Bibles, in your journals, underline that. For the Lord's sake. That is very, very important. What does it mean? The phrase means on account of the Lord. Sam Storms, wonderful biblical commentary that he has on this passage, on this book, for example. He says this phrase, it provides the rationale or underlying motivation for such obedience. We submit not only because God is the one who sets in place all civil authority, but also so that the ignorance of foolish people will be silenced. We'll see that in just a moment in verse 15. Now, I pray, church, that we all can agree, those of us here, those of us online, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you understand the fact that God is sovereign. You understand the fact that God sits on his throne. He has not been moved off of that throne. He will not be moved off of that throne. And because of that, nothing surprises him. I just had a conversation this morning with one of our beloved church members. I won't say the name for confidentiality, but the person and I were talking, and we talked about this very subject matter. Not about political things, but about the fact that God is on his throne and nothing surprises him. So here's the reality. You've heard this said over the last several weeks. No matter what happens on Tuesday, and let's be real, we probably won't know results on Tuesday. 
But no matter what happens on Tuesday, God is not surprised by that. God still sits on his throne. And because of that, we, in obedience to God, as, yes, citizens of the United States of America, we walk in obedience following that authority of the things that are established in this world, ultimately submitting to God. Ultimately submitting to God. Now, we see in other places in Scripture, we see in Daniel's account, for example, the story of Daniel. Powerful book. If you ever have the time, I know that we've gone through it chronologically earlier this year, take some time and literally go through verse by verse and read through Daniel's book. Powerful account of how God moves and works. But in Daniel chapter 2, 37 through 38, it says, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, whether they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. God is not surprised by things. God allows things to take place because he sits sovereignly on the throne. Nothing surprises our great God. Nothing. Sam Storms again says, It is to bring honor to him and to make known his greatness and majesty that we give our lives in obedience to the emperor, the king, the president, or whomever is in power. Verse 14, look at 14. Or, continuing from 13, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We need to understand the significance of why Peter mentions the emperor and the governor. Now, at this time period, when he's writing, it was during this time that Claudius and Nero are those in power. And let's just be completely frank. They hated Christians. And they carried out the act of killing Christians. There was persecution running rampant. It's one of the main reasons why Peter writes this letter. There was suffering taking place. There was pain and agony because Christians were being killed. You might say, well, wait a minute now. Why is Peter saying to do these things and to submit to this authority when these things are taking place? Again, it's for the Lord's sake. It's to honor the Lord despite what is taking place. Now, this may open the door for us here in 2020 to, to use our brains and our thinking to say, wait a second now, aren't there, aren't there reasons for civil disobedience? Aren't there reasons for stuff like this to take place? And we might think of examples of things that have happened in our history. Here in America, for example, we might think of the examples of, of Dr. Martin Luther King and what he did in the whole fight against racism. An act of civil disobedience when necessary. We might see, excuse me, we might see Corey Tin Boom, who along with her family helped Jews escape 800 lives saved from the Nazis. An act of civil disobedience. She was one who would take Jews and hide them in her closet in her house to save lives. An act of civil disobedience. Now, what is majorly different for those people who did those extraordinary acts of civil disobedience to save lives and to fight, fight for equality compared to us here today in 2020 is that we are not necessarily fighting things like that of the government. I will say yet, because we don't know what is to come. Again, God sits sovereignly on his throne. He reigns. He knows what is to come. But here in our thinking and where we are right now in 2020, we see chaos running around us. 
We see all this stuff going on, but thank God, look around. We are able to still sit here and proclaim the name of God freely. And I thank God for that. But church, we are not to know. There may be a day here in America where this is not a free thing for us to do. And there may be times where we may have to stand up against the things that are not of God. Especially if they go against what God's word tells us to do. Those times may come, and we'll talk more about that here in a moment. We have to understand that we are to obey the laws of the God, submit to that authority. I think of an example in the book of Acts. Listen to this, Acts 5, 27 through 32. It's an example of where they are brought before, and they are told to stop teaching the truth of Jesus. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior. And and give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. If ever comes a day here in our country where we are told that we cannot stand and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in an assembly like this, that goes against the teachings of Scripture. And we boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel, and that is an example of civil disobedience. We even see some of this partaking across our, our country right now, in California, for example. You see examples because of COVID, some really, really strong restrictions that are coming in, and there are churches that are saying, no, we will not forsake the gathering. We see things like that taking place around us. We need to pay attention. We need to be wise. And we need to do what is the easiest thing to do that sometimes gets forgotten. We need to cry out to God in prayer, asking for wisdom and guidance. And watch as the Holy Spirit leads. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I mentioned earlier that, that we would see something in verse 15. Here it is. The will of God is what we should be after. We should seek to do the will of God. And by doing so, in our walking in obedience to the teachings of Scripture, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, as it says here. Literally, that can be translated as muzzled. Just as a dog. You put a muzzle on there to protect, to quiet it. It's what the Scripture is translating as there. We put to silence those who are doing foolish. Now note this. When Peter says foolish, they're not talking about a lack of education. He's not talking about the fact that these people are just fools. They don't have a good education. They don't understand basic things. When he calls them foolish, he is calling them foolish because of their rebellion against God. Foolish because of that rebellion against God. We see here that Paul says something very similar. And I know I'm giving you a lot of references. If you can't write them all down, just jot it. I can email you my transcript later. Ephesians 4.18 says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Referring to those that don't know God. Referring to those that have not been saved by the precious blood of Jesus that was poured out at Calvary. 
Simply put, we must continue to walk in obedience to God, surrendering Him, living a Christ-exalting life of holiness. Because in doing so, that will speak volumes to those who are around us, to those who are enemies of God, those who do not know God. It speaks volumes. And when we're in those moments where we face difficult times, when we're in those moments where we face suffering that we'll talk about here in a moment, everyone will stop and look and say, what in the world is up with that person? Because we are surrendered to God, living a life of obedience. Despite whatever comes our way, we walk in obedience and we exalt Christ and we give God the glory in everything. Verse 16, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Peter here is instructing the believers to live as free people. We are free as Christians because we have been bought with that precious blood of Christ. You remember a couple weeks ago, I referenced that word precious. And it's not just this idea of just saying, oh, it's cute. Oh, that's nice. No, it is precious. It is this honorable thing that God has done by sending Christ, this, this moment of Christ Jesus' blood being poured out for us at Calvary. That is precious. That is God in the flesh dying on our behalf, taking the wrath of God. Therefore, we must, we must live lives to surrender to Him. And we are to not do these things as free people, free because of the blood of Jesus, not do it for evil. We are not to live in a way because we are eternally free to do a cover-up and do evil against those that are in authority, those governing officials, maybe those that we don't necessarily agree with. We are to still honor because we are called to be submissive to that authority. We are literally bond servants to God. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. So when the Master says to do something, we do it. When the king tells us to serve him faithfully, we do it. Now I look around this room and I know that I'm preaching to a lot of the choir. But it's a solid reminder for all of us, church. No matter what, we are to walk in obedience. And doing so might make us uncomfortable. Might push us a little. But if I can be frank... The church, Big C Church, needs to be pushed a little. Because we say it every single week that every man, woman, and child in our circle of accountability has multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's urgency to the call. There are people that are dying, that are going to hell, that have never heard the good news of Jesus. Right, that's impossible. We live in America. It's freedom here. We can proclaim it all we want. There are people that are dying and going to hell that have not heard the good news of the precious blood of Jesus that was poured out at Calvary. And we as his followers are called to walk in obedience and tell the good news. Are we doing it? Are we doing it? Now in verse 17, it says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We get this little four-part saying from Peter. First off, he says, honor everyone. This verse, this verse isn't just for a specific time. This is for everyday living. 
As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to honor everyone. We are called to look at every human life the same, created in the image of God. You can jot that down as Genesis 1.26. Created in the image of God. Every human life is valuable. No matter the social economical status, no matter the race, no matter the way in which they live their life. Every life is valuable. Every life should be honored. This is important because it also means regardless of differences, regardless of the political party, regardless of the way in which people have thoughts about the way things should be carried out. I'm not endorsing that we should agree with things that are not biblical. I'm not doing that at all. We should stand up for what is biblical. But we should look at every life as valuable, created in the image of God. And if there are thoughts and processes of someone that is not lined up with Scripture, we are not God. We don't know if that person's saved. But we must, we must treat them with the same love and respect and pray that they are saved. And if they aren't, Pray that God would give us the opportunity to boldly proclaim the gospel to them. We're about to go into a very uh, awkward season, if you will. Many of us, if we'll we'll do so with, with COVID restrictions in place, many of us in the next coming weeks are going to be sitting around dinner tables at Thanksgiving. And I know that for some families that can be very difficult. And we have the holidays coming up. And there are going to be those awkward conversations that always come up about different beliefs and things like that. Every family has it. And if you say yours doesn't, we'll do an examination. (laughs) Every family has them. What a beautiful, wonderful opportunity to pray ahead of time going into it. God, every year it's awkward. Every year I want to speak up. Every year I want to say something. And sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't do them in the right way. Lord, may this year be the year. Knowing and trusting that you'll give me the words to speak. Let me boldly proclaim the gospel at this table. To that family member. Ask God to start to burden and break the hearts of those that are lost, that are in your family, friends, loved ones, neighbors, that might be around you at that dinner table. I said just a few moments ago, this season that we're going into, after this week, prayerfully, we're going to go into a season where people are more and more open because of the holiday season to hear things. It's almost like the walls kind of come down. Take advantage of the opportunities that God gives you. Share the good news of Jesus. Honor everyone. He then also says, love the brotherhood. The brotherhood. Love the church. Love our brotherhood. Love the people that God has called you to be on mission with as your family. He says in 1 Peter 1.22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love the brotherhood. He also says their next, fear God. We talked about that a few weeks ago. 
We've talked about that several, several times over the last several years here. Fear God. Reverently honor Him for who He is. And then he says there again, at the tail end, honor the emperor. Be submissive under that authority, ultimately submissive to God's authority in doing so. So we glorify God in submitting to authority. Secondly, glorify God in your suffering. Glorify God in your suffering. Verse 18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Now again, we have to remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Slavery in Rome is not the same as we saw it through our lens here in America. It's not. You'll recall from a couple weeks ago when we were talking about this, slavery in America was based on ethnicity and and hate against a race. And it was this idea of being this authority over this specific ethnic group because of this hate towards it. Slavery in Rome was based on the economic status. To pay off a debt or to Rome maybe conquered an area and they took those people in as slaves. It's not because of ethnicity like we saw it here in America. Although, although it's not the same, we have to remember that it is still unjust. Now, Scripture never condones slavery. Let's go ahead and make that clear. In fact, the gospel message is anti-slavery. The gospel message for us is about the redemption of our souls because we are all, what? Enemies of God. We are all lost and separated from God. We have all sinned against God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love he had for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. The gospel message does not condone slavery at all. So we must ask the question, why do the writers, especially Peter here in this example, why do they not emphatically speak out against this subject matter of Servants or slaves. Well, Thomas Schreiner in his commentary, and it's a little bit lengthy, so just listen to me, he says, We must remember that the New Testament documents address readers in the situation in which they live. Railing against slavery would not, only, would not be of any help to ordinary Christians, for, as noted, the dissolution of slavery was out of revolutionaries. They did not believe that overhauling social structures would transform culture. Listen to this. Their concern was relationship of an individual to God, and they focused on the sin and rebellion of individuals against their creator. New Testament writers, therefore, concentrated instead on the godly responses of believers to mistreatment. So Peter here, in this passage, he fits this paradigm nicely, for he admonished the readers to respond in a godly way against persecution and oppression. Peter Peter here is saying that not just to be submissive to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unjust. Once again, pointing to the fact that our ultimate submission is to God Almighty. During this time period, looking at these things, especially these people that are in subject to the slavery of Rome, Peter is encouraging them to live in a way that honors God even in the midst of their suffering, even in the midst of their pain. Now, verses 19 and 20, Peter continues giving the reason why 
for what he says in verse 18. God shows grace, divine approval, blessing. God shows grace. And the favor and blessing of God comes to those who cherish and treasure Him above earthly vindication and suffering. Verse 19 specifically says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. In verse 19 where he says, mindful of God, it gives this notion to us that we are to always be of the truth that God is watching. And we know that. He's omnipresent. He sees everything. He sees the way in which we live. This is true for those who are followers of Christ. We are to walk in obedience. And no matter what, even when we face suffering, even when we face hard times, we are to honor God. He says we see the words there, while suffering. And I will tell you, from this point forward through the end of the book, we're going to see that phrase a good bit. Peter focuses on this theme of being faithful and submissive while enduring suffering. And the reality for each of us is that we will suffer at certain points in our life. Many of us right now, if we had the time, we could recount times in our lives already where we have suffered. And I can assure you there are still times coming on this side of heaven where we will suffer. We will face the difficulties of life. Peter will soon point to the example of Christ, though, in the midst of suffering and how we are to model that. Now, in verse 20, he says, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? This idea, this phrase, for, it continues the thought. And when believers suffering for doing good, they show amazing humility and faithful endurance in the midst of the hard times. In the midst of the difficulty. Now, imagine what the lost and sinful world thinks, as I said earlier, when they see this attitude of a follower of Jesus that despite suffering lives for God's glory. Imagine the testimony that it speaks to a lost and dying world around us. Peter is writing this to encourage those who are suffering injustice. And again, the gracious thing from what we see in verse 19, the gracious things comes while enduring the unjust things that are against believers. Now, ask the question, what sufferings will we face today? What sufferings will we face today? I'm willing to bet that here in America, right here and now, we're not facing the sufferings and the difficulties of persecution like our brothers and sisters in Christ are seeing across the globe right now. I said just a few moments ago, we are freely able to sit here at Holmes Avenue Baptist Church, 4602 Duran Avenue, on this November 1st, nice fall day in Charleston, South Carolina, and hear the word of God and sing songs of praise to God. And nobody, by God's grace, has busted in this door saying, shut it down or you're all arrested. Or worse, killed. But there are brothers and sisters that are around the globe right now that are hiding. That are hiding. And they're begging and pleading for somebody to get them a copy of God's word. They are suffering for the sake of Christ. Some are being killed. We know Peter. He himself would stand up against what was happening. And Peter would be crucified upside down. 
They would go to crucify Peter, and Peter didn't seem worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. And so they put him upside down and killed him that way. We are not facing that kind of suffering. I know that. And I know, and I'm not making light of the fact that some of the suffering we face is sitting around those tables at the holiday season by those that are not followers of Jesus, that mock us, that laugh at us. For the bosses who make your lives, you know what, because you boldly proclaim God and Christ Jesus suffering on the cross and his defeat of death and the resurrection in your workplace. I know that probably many of us in this room have lost friends and family members even because we boldly profess Christ. And of course, there may be even worse things. There are sufferings that will take place. And I ask the question, and I know this is hypothetical, but church, what if, what if the day came where someone told us you will stop professing the name of Jesus or else. What would we say? Would we be like Peter in the Acts 5 account that I just read a few moments ago and say, we will not stop boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter if death stares us in the face, will we willingly say, I will stand on the gospel, period. And if you don't like that, take my life, because I will see Jesus. Lastly, glorify God by following Christ. Verse 21. For this, for to this, excuse me, you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Here's an uncomfortable reality for all of us. We see there in verse 21, we as followers of Christ are called to suffer. We are called to suffer. We are called to suffer, as it says there in the verse, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It is through the example of Jesus' sufferings that he went through, headed to the cross, what happened to him on the cross, that we, as his followers, embrace and endure. Embrace and endure through the suffering. Suffering is going to come. It may come in some ways that I've mentioned, and it may come in the unfathomable ways. Ways that we don't even see or even want to think as ways of suffering. But suffering will come. We are called to suffering. The truth is that this suffering is going to come. And how are we to respond? Christ chose to endure suffering without retaliation. He willingly went to Calvary's cross in our place. Willingly. Christ became the substitutionary, the substitutionary atonement on our behalf, church. He was the perfect spotless lamb of God that would go to Calvary's cross. He would be the one to take the mocking and the beating, the laughing at, the spitting on. He took every bit of it. And he took it all willingly. 
He set the example for what it means when we have suffering. How we are to follow in his example, not once jeering back, but being obedient to the Father as he leads. He says there, and don't miss this, Christ suffered for you. Christ suffered for you. We may think that we suffer. And at times, we, we, may as, we, we, we have. We've suffered at different times in our life, and we may think that these are hard times, and they are, and I'm not making light of that. But Christ Jesus suffered the ultimate suffering, the ultimate punishment. Christ Jesus, in his obedience to the Father, when he goes to the cross, he takes God's wrath upon him. After going through all of the things here on earth, of the beating and everything that takes place with that, the nailing to the cross, he then has separation in that moment as the Father turns his face and the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus. Jesus takes the ultimate suffering and not once calls down a legion of angels to stop it. Not once says one thing against it but willingly submits to the will of the Father and takes on that wrath. What an example to us. We know, we know if you are saved and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been bought by that precious blood, you know that you will not experience God's wrath because Jesus has experienced it for you. But the truth of the matter is, if you are here and you don't know Christ, and you do not know Christ at the point when you take your last breath on this earth, you will experience that wrath. And the people that we know and that we love, who live around the corner from us, who are in our family, that do not know Christ, they will experience that wrath. They will experience that wrath, church. That's why Walter and I stand up here until we're blue in the face at times. And our hearts cry and our prayer is that we stay deployed. Because the reality is that there are people that we know and we love that don't know Christ. They will die and they will experience that wrath. You have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus. Christ Jesus set the example and he suffered on our behalf. Setting the example. Very quickly, 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus was sinless. No deceit, no evil spoken. Nothing. All of this points to Isaiah's passage in 53. You can just jot that down, Isaiah 53. Look at the suffering servant passage. And Peter even talks about it at the beginning of chapter 2, how we are to not have deceit come from our mouth. Again, following the example of Christ. Verse 23 says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Jesus did not once fire back with anything. He willingly took it all. Willingly took it all. 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. The beauty of the gospel. Again, and this one is there for you to see. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. With the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. 
because of his finished work. He did so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The call of a follower of Jesus is to die to sin and to live that holy life that we've been talking about as a sojourner in this world. I know that we still sin. I know that not a day goes by that we don't sin. And if you say that you don't, we need to talk because I've got to figure out how you're doing it. Every single one of us still sin. But thank God for his grace and mercy that we are covered because of Jesus. That doesn't mean that we get to go around and just live hell free all we want. We wake up daily and we walk in obedience and we live and pursue a holy life. Because look at the beauty of verse 25 and we'll close. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In my Bible, I wrote hallelujah beside that. Each and every one of us as enemies of God were straying like sheep. But because of what Christ Jesus has done, we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Hallelujah. So I want to ask you, church, if you are a follower of Jesus, are you glorifying God with your life? This isn't to guilt you into anything. This isn't to make you question anything. But it comes time for a real self-evaluation. Am I living my life in pursuit of holiness to glorify God with the life that he's given me? Because each and every one of us have an end date that shows up on the tombstone. Each and every one of us do not know what that end date is. So with the time that we have until he calls us home, are we living a life that glorifies him? Submitting to the authority that is established in this world, ultimately submitting to his authority. Submitting to glorify God in the midst of our suffering and glorifying God by following the example of Christ Jesus. I pray that you are. If you are here and you don't know Christ or you don't feel like you've been living to glorify God with that life, Today is the day of salvation. Prayerfully it is. Today is a day to come before the Father and say, I repent of not living that way, Lord. We're going to move into a time of reflection. The band can go ahead and come forward. We're going to move into a time of reflection and prayer, crying out to God and asking him, Lord, what is it that you are telling me through what has been said today? And for each and every one of us, that may be something different. But cry out to God and ask, Lord, I've heard what you've said today. And Lord, I feel like you are moving this in my life, that you are calling me to this. So cry out to him. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, man, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what to do next. Today is the day to find out what that may be. Ask the Father what it is that he wants you to do. And if today truly is the day of salvation, cry out to him, asking him to save your soul. Acknowledge your sin that separates you from God, that makes you an enemy of God. Acknowledge that you need Christ Jesus to save your soul, that you acknowledge and understand and believe that he has paid the price for you on Calvary's cross, defeated sin and death, and resurrected to new life. But whatever it is, we're going to pause for a moment of reflection. We're going to cry out to God in prayer, and then we're going to sing this song, Jesus Paid It All.
because he truly did. So let's move into a time of prayer, and then I'll close this before we sing. Let's pray. Father, your word says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, this is the truth of your word. Father, we were once alienated enemies from you, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind but god you stepped in sending christ jesus to the cross to pay the ultimate price and we rejoice and we celebrate and we thank you for that father i pray lord that for every person in this room within the sound of my voice those listening online lord if they truly do know you as savior and lord but they are not living their life to glorify you lord i pray that they would repent and that they would begin to live that life Lord, for those that are listening right now that do not know you, Lord, that would fall into that category before verse 4. Lord, I pray, God, that if today would be the salvation that you would move and that you would work. Ultimately, Father, I pray, God, that you would be glorified for the Lord's sake. We love you and we bless you in Christ's strong name we pray. Amen.